All right, good morning. This morning we are in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. How should we love another? How should we love another? That's the question that we're going to be asking and answering this morning. How should we love another? From John chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of John chapter 13. It's quite lengthy. We've been going through John uh, basically chapter by chapter and uh, I don't want to, you know, it's a lot to read each chapter, but I do want to get you into the text. I do want you to see uh, the, the core of what Jesus is saying here in this particular passage. And so we're going to read just some selections from John chapter 13 to get us in that, to get the text. I think it's, I think it's very important for us to, to know that, that what you are hearing from me is coming from God's Word. It's not just my opinion. It's not just something that, that I made up this week. But it is God's word, and it is his word to us. And, and I am just his instrument to deliver that to you. And so I think it's important that we at least read a portion of this so that you will see that, and that we continue to read as we work through the text. So beginning in verse 1, he says, Now, there, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash me, my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you were clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me and receives the one who sent me. And then skip down to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
God, we thank you for this day and opportunity to hear your word and to hear from you and to learn how we are to love one another, God, and the power that we have to do that. And Lord, as we walk through this text this morning, help us, help us, Lord, to be a people who can love one another as, as you love us, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, love, it is a word that gets thrown around a lot. I mean, we love all kinds of things. We love the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that we might have for lunch today. We love going to the shooting range or, or playing golf. We love the Netflix show that we are currently binge watching this week. And, and next week, we're going to love the one that we binge watch then. We love the, the pair of shoes that just got delivered to our house this week. We love our technology our computers, our phones, our iPads. We love uh, the books on our physical and digital shelves, even though we know that the physical shelf is much better than the digital shelf. We love our homes. We love our neighborhoods. We love our cars. Love is a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's no wonder that we don't understand what it means to love another person. Loving someone like you love your sandwich, your shoes, or your Netflix show must not be the case. But sadly, sadly, it is. People often lump all of those things together. And I don't know about you, but that's not the type of love that I desire. I don't want my wife to love me just as much as she loves the new pair of shoes that she got this last week. I want her to love me in a distinctly different way. But the problem is, is that, that many people don't know how to love, especially if we are looking to the culture to learn how we should love one another. And not only are we affected by the culture, but, but we are also selfish, sinful people apart from Christ. And we are controlled by Satan apart from those who have been saved by Christ. And so we have difficulty loving. It is almost, it, it is impossible in some cases for us to love one another in the way that God desires for us to love. And so how, how are we to love? Well, thankfully, God has not, uh, you know, left us in the dark in this area. God loves us in a way that is uh, unimaginable, and he demonstrates his love for us in today's text. Look at verse 1. He says, Now therefore, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so we see that, that Jesus is gathered together with his disciples. It is a bit before the Passover feast is, is about to take place there. They're gathered together with one another over a meal. And we're told here that, that Jesus loves his own. And, and, and his love did not end. Jesus loved all the way to the end, John tells us here. And so how then, how does Jesus love? Well, Jesus and John, who is the writer of this gospel, uh, doesn't just tell us how Jesus loves. No, no, John gives us a vivid portrait of how Jesus loves us. So look at the text beginning in verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, there are a number of things that are taking place in this particular text. Not, not only do we learn that, that Judas is going to betray Jesus, but we also learn that Jesus is aware of his position, but he willingly takes the place of a servant. 
verse 3, we see that, that he knows the Father has given all things into his hand. He knows that he has come from God and he is going back to God. In other words, Jesus knows that he is the king. He knows that he is the all-sovereign God of the universe. He knows that he is God's son who has been sent here on a mission. And Jesus is fully aware of his position. Jesus is fully aware of who he is and what he deserves. But look at what he does. Jesus willingly takes the place of a servant. Look at the text again in verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And now this is what, what slaves and servants would do. You know, the roads back then weren't, weren't paved roads. They, they were dusty, dirty roads. And, and they wore these open-toed sandals. And so as they walked around, their, their feet would get quite dirty. And when they would come in, into someone's house, they would typically have their feet washed, particularly if they were going to come for a meal. And, and, and the master of the house was, was the one who would make sure that these people's feet were washed, especially if, if he was going to be a good you know, host that night. And, and he wasn't the one who would typically wash their feet. No, he would provide a servant or a slave who would, who would do the foot washing on, on his behalf. And, and typically the guests, they had no real regard for the servant. You know, the way this meal is structured would, would have been uh, the same. Uh, or, excuse me, the way this meal is structured would be different than the way that, that the meal is structured for us. You see, we're often, we often pull up to a table and we sit there in a chair and we look at, at one another and our feet are below us. Well, the way that Jesus and his disciples ate was much different than that. Instead of sitting at, at a table with one another, they, they would recline and, and they would lean on, you know, one elbow and, and they would literally recline and they would grab the, the meal this way and their feet would be behind them. And so one of the servants would come and they would, they would wash their feet as they reclined at table and... You know, the, the people wouldn't even have to have any regard for the servant who was washing their feet. They, they were too busy focusing on one another, too busy focusing on the conversation that they had with one another. And this is the role that Jesus takes up, right? I mean, Jesus decides that, that he is going to be this servant. And a complete reversal of roles. The master of the feast, the, the king, the, the all-sovereign God of the universe, the, the creator, he takes, he, 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 stand, he gets from his place of prominence and he goes and he takes the place of a servant and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And we see how much of a reversal this is when he gets to Simon Peter. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, Peter recognizes that, that this is not Jesus' role. This is not normal. This is their leader. This is their, their master. If anyone was going to wash anybody's feet, the disciples should be washing Jesus' feet. But here Jesus is washing their feet. But notice what Jesus tells Peter and, and the other disciples in verse 7. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, 
The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So what is Jesus getting at here? He's getting at the fact that, that he has come to cleanse us. And unless we are cleansed by Jesus, we can have no part with him. We can't break into Jesus's kingdom on our own. We can't get into his entourage on our, on our own effort. We can't get into his kingdom on our own effort. No, Jesus is the one who must cleanse us. And how is Jesus going to cleanse us? Well, well God becomes a man. The king becomes a servant. He comes on a rescue mission for his own, and he willingly approaches this hour of death, the hour where the Father's eternal wrath would be poured out on him in our place. Now, I picked up a book recently. Uh, it's entitled Gentle and Lowly by Dan Ortland. And Ortland writes uh, this about Jesus' sacrifice and God's wrath. And if you want a book that you can read about Jesus, if you want someone of devotion to read about Jesus and what he's done, I would highly recommend this book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dan Ortland. And he writes this about Jesus' sacrifice and God's wrath. He says, For consider exactly what was impending. Jesus had done his Father's will unwaveringly. Now his worst nightmare was about to wash over him. Hell itself, not metaphorically, but in actuality, the horror of condemnation and darkness and death was opening its jaws. After all, God punished Jesus not for the sin of just one person, but many. What was it for Christ to swallow down the cumulative, twistedness, self-enthronement, natural God-hatred of the elect? What must it have been for the sum total of righteous divine wrath generated not just by one man's sin, but the iniquity of us all to come crashing down on a single soul? The righteous human wrath we feel, the, the wrath we would be wrong not to feel, is a drop in the ocean of righteous divine wrath. And Jesus, Jesus took the wrath that we deserve on himself. And he, and he didn't, we wouldn't be clean. We would not be able to, to enter into the presence of a holy God. Jesus took this wrath on himself, and Jesus is the only one who could have taken the Father's wrath on himself. Everyone else deserves punishment except for the King himself. He is the perfect and holy, righteous Son of God. He is perfect and holy, not deserving the Father's wrath, but Jesus, because of his perfection, because of his holiness, he could take the Father's wrath on himself. And that's exactly what Jesus does. It is a reversal of roles. The king, the creator, serves his citizens, serves his creation. He makes it possible for us by offering himself in our place. And this leads one commentator to say, what is startling in this story is the vivid portrayal of the Messiah adopting a shameful, lowly posture in relation to his disciples. I know of no other example in the literature of the ancient world before the coming of Jesus where such a foot washing by a leader occurs. No other leader would humble themselves in the way that, that Jesus has humbled himself. 
Again, Jesus' foot washing is not just a foot washing. Jesus' foot washing is a vivid portrayal. It is a vivid portrait of what Jesus does for us. Jesus leaves his throne and he comes down and he acts as a servant. Jesus becomes the suffering servant of Isaiah. The one who, who dies for his citizens so that they might be able to enter into his kingdom. And, and if you think about it, I mean, that is, that is simply amazing. That is simply amazing that Jesus would do that, that, that the king would become a servant to die for his citizens so that they might have access into his kingdom. That is captivating. But that's what Jesus does. And so how does Jesus love us? Well, Jesus loves us sacrificially. He is the suffering servant who pays the price so that his people might be able to enter into his kingdom. But Jesus' actions that night were not just of salvific significance, even though they, they definitely were of salvific significance. And he's telling us that we must be cleansed by him so that we can be a part of his kingdom. But that's not all that Jesus was doing that night as he washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus' actions also serve as an example to us. They teach us how we are to love one another. And so how? How should we love one another? Well, beginning in verse 12, Jesus says this, when he had, or we told this, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we learn that, that we should wash the feet of others just as Jesus has done for us. This doesn't mean that, that we can die for another person like Jesus can do for us. There's only one person who could die for the sins of mankind, and that is Jesus. So we are not to go out and to try to die for one another in the sense that we are trying to atone for someone else's sin. No, that, that's not what Jesus is talking about. But, but what we can do is we, we can and we should love others through self-sacrificial acts of service. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. You know, if we are going to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, if we are going to be a part of Jesus' entourage, if we are going to follow him, then we must do as Jesus does. We must sacrifice our will. We must sacrifice our wants. We must sacrifice our desires for others. That is what it means for us to love one another. It means that we are willing to sacrifice self for another person. And that is the example that Jesus has set for us here. And serving is greater than being served. In his kingdom, the king comes off of his throne and he serves those who are underneath him. And this is where the idea of servant leadership comes into play. You see, as, as those who are emulating Jesus, we must serve those whom we are responsible for, whether that be people in our own family, whether that be people in our business, whether that be people in our community, whether that be people in our church. We must serve those whom we are responsible for. We shouldn't have the mentality that, you know what, I need to get to the top so that everybody can serve me and I don't have to do any more serving anymore. No, that's not, that's not how it should be. It said, as we rise in our responsibility, as we have more people who are underneath us that we are very responsible for, we have more and more people that we should be serving. 
And so it's not that you get to the top so that everybody can serve you. It's that if you get to the top in your organization or wherever it might be, you get there and now you have more people that you must be serving. And that's the idea of us being a servant leader. That's the idea of what what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is serving all of those who are his by dying in their place. And we must do the same. We must die to self, not literally kill ourselves, but, but die to self. Our own will, our wants, our desires must be cast aside for the will and wants and desires of others, for what is best for other people as we seek to serve them, to help them to grow in Christ. That's what a servant leader does. And not only are we given an example, but, but Jesus commands us to love others. So look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus gives us this new commandment. And this new commandment, we are told that we are to love one another. Now, this commandment is not new in the sense that that love is just now coming on the scene for God's people. God has expected his people, you know, from the beginning to love one another. And Jesus certainly expects that as well of his disciples. And so we have to ask, well, how is this commandment then new? Well, it's new in the sense that Jesus is commanding us to love one another based on his sacrifice and our covenant with him. In other words, he has the right to tell us how we are to live because of what he has done for us. Notice he says, you are to love one another just as I have loved you. And so what Jesus is doing here is no different than what God did with the Ten Commandments. If you remember back to the book of the Exodus, God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the bondage and the slavery that they were experiencing there, and he brings them out in what is known as the Exodus event. And then there in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, he, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then he gives them a bunch of other commandments after that. But, but he gives them these Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments and the other commandments that come after that are based on God's act of redemption in the Exodus event. It is based on what he has done there. And so God makes a covenant with his people. And, and they are then to obey that covenant. Not just blindly out of, well, why am I supposed to obey God's covenant? Where did this come from? Well, it has come from what God has done for them. And he has the right to ask them to obey him and because of what he has done. And that's the same thing what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, I am ushering in the new covenant, the new covenant in Jeremiah that we learn there. Jesus is saying, I am ushering in the new covenant. And based on what I am doing to usher in this new covenant, I'm giving my life as a sacrifice for you. You are to love one another. I am giving you this command. And so if you're going to be my new covenant people, if you are going to be my disciples, if you're going to be my followers, my expectation of you, Jesus is saying, is that you would love one another just as I have loved you. That's what Jesus is doing here. And so we must love one another self-sacrificially if we're going to call ourselves Jesus' disciples. And there are benefits for us loving as Jesus loved. By loving as Jesus loved, we act as a witness to the world. He tells us that everyone will know that we are his disciples. 
You see, the world does not love in the way that, that Jesus loves. The world loves in a way that, that is beneficial to them. But Jesus tells us that we must love in, in the way that, that he loves, self-sacrificially. And as we love in the way that is self-sacrificially, we end up being a witness to the world. I've been reading another book recently. I've been doing a lot of reading lately. I've been reading another book recently by John Piper. It's called Christ and the Coronavirus. Coronavirus, excuse me. And this... This book, it provides a good perspective on what, it, what God is doing in, in the coronavirus with COVID-19. And I'd certainly recommend it to you. It's a free ebook uh, that you can pick up from Crossway. Uh, I've highlighted that on our Instagram account. I've highlighted that on our Facebook page. Uh, free. And, and in most instances, you can also get the audio book as well if you don't like to read. So highly recommend this book. In one of his later chapters, when he's talking about what God is doing in the coronavirus, he says... It is not mere good deeds that give Christianity its tang and luster. It is good deeds in spite of danger. And then he goes on to say, Many non-Christians do good deeds, but seldom do people give glory to God because of them. Yes, the danger in Matthew 5, which is, which is the text that he's referring to in this section of his book, was, was about persecution. Not disease, but the principle holds. Deeds of love in the context of danger, whether disease or persecution, point more clearly to the fact that these deeds are sustained by hope in God. And then he goes to, to look back in history to the great plagues that took place in the Roman Empire in, in AD 165 and, and 251. And he notes that while a third of the empire was perishing from disease, I mean, the... the the plague that we are currently facing is you know, not new in that sense. A third of the empire was perishing from the disease. Physicians, they, they fled to their country estates. They didn't run into the emergency rooms like we have physicians doing now. They fled. And those with symptoms, they, they were not cared for. They were cast out of their homes. Priests forsook the temple. Now, even though all of these things were going on with, with, with the people of that society... Christians stayed, and they cared both physically and spiritually for the people. They sacrificed not only their comfort, but, but sometimes they ended up sacrificing their life. And this resulted not only in, in many people being cared for, both physically and spiritually, but this also resulted in them winning many people from the pagan culture around them. You see, our love and our care can and does act as a, as a witness to the world, especially in times of crisis. And also, by loving as Jesus loved, we can be assured of our salvation. You see, it's not natural for us to love in this way. It's not natural for us to, to give up ourselves, to give up our lives, to, to sacrifice self for others. It's not natural for us to do that. And as we see ourselves doing that, as we see ourselves living self-sacrificially, then, then that can be an assurance to us. It can help us to know that, that we truly are Jesus' disciples, that, that God is real, that Jesus truly has worked in our life, and that Jesus is still continually working in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. It can give us an assurance of our salvation by loving as Jesus loved. But the question still remains, you know, how can we love as Jesus loves? How can we love as Jesus loves? I mean, admittedly, we, we don't always 
love and care for others in this way. We don't always willingly sacrifice ourselves for others. Now, I know that I'm not the only person that, that that's the case for. I'm sure that many of you, that is the case for you as well. We don't always love in the way that Jesus wants us to love. And so how? How can we love as Jesus loves? Well, let me just say coming to church is not enough to drive this type of love. I mean, think about Judas. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. Judas was as close to Jesus as anybody could be as close to Jesus. Jesus, Judas walked with Jesus. Judas talked with Jesus. He he saw Jesus performing miracles. He saw, he heard Jesus' teachings. He heard all of these things that, that Jesus was doing. But Judas ended up betraying Jesus. Look at verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Then again in verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then he goes, you know, on through an illustration to show that that it is Judas, even though the disciples didn't understand it at that point, but later they did. You, You see, being connected to the church, being connected to other Christians, seeing them serve other people is not enough to drive self-sacrificial love in us. Judas, as close as you could get, he saw Peter willing to sacrifice his life for Jesus. He saw Jesus sacrifice himself for the disciples and he knew what that meant because Jesus told him. Still, he did not serve in that way. So being connected, being around Christians is not enough to drive that type of love. If that's not gonna do it, then how? How can we love as Jesus loves? Well, the answer lies in the gospel. Jesus must make us clean if we're going to love as he loves. Beginning at the, at the end of verse 10, when he's talking about the cleansing that he provides, he says this, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And then a little bit later in verse 27, we learn that, that Satan entered him. Satan entered into Judas. And so Judas had not been changed by Jesus. Satan was Judas's master. He was incapable then of loving as Jesus loved. And that tells us then that, that in order for us to love as Jesus loves, we must be cleansed by Jesus. Our hearts must be changed. And our hearts refer to our will, our wants, our desires. Those things must be cleansed. Those things must be changed by Jesus. Only then are we capable of loving in the way that Jesus loves. And so that's first. But, but, but we all know that, that being capable of doing something and actually doing that on a consistent basis is pretty difficult to do. We, we know that we don't always do that. We, we look at our own lives and we say, I do not always love in the way that Jesus loves. If you're honest with yourself, that is true. If you say, no, I always love in the way that Jesus loves, then you're lying, right? And we shouldn't do that. But we are all honest with ourselves. We know we don't love this way. And so how do we do that then? How do we get to a place where we can consistently, not always, because we know we're gonna fail, and that's okay, we know we're going to fail, but how can we get to a place where we can grow in our love so that we are more consistently loving as Jesus loves rather than being self-centered and selfish? Well, in order to love as Jesus loves, we must be completely captivated by Jesus' love for us. 
Before Jesus gives this new commandment to his disciples, he not only shows them what it means to love, but, but he, he also tells them what's going to happen. What, is, what Jesus is going to do and what he's doing by telling them what's going to happen, what he's doing by showing them what is about to take place, that he is going to become the suffering servant on their behalf. Jesus is actually grounding his command. He is grounding this imperative to love as he loves in the indicative of the gospel. To love as Jesus loves is not just a command or an action that that comes out of nowhere. No, it is based on his love for us. If we are going to reignite this love in ourselves over and over again on a daily basis, then we must daily focus on the gospel. How Jesus has suffered and how Jesus has died for us, not because he had to do it, but because Jesus willingly did it. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. There's no other way that we are going to sacrifice for another on a continual basis unless we are completely unless we are absolutely captivated by what Jesus has done for us and so when we have trouble loving as Jesus loves and we know that we are a believer then what we need to do is we need to run back to the gospel we need to continually focus on the gospel you see, many people believe that the gospel is just the ABCs of the Christian life, that, 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 that believing that Jesus has died for them and repented of their sins just kind of gets them into the kingdom and now they need to go off and do something else, some, some sort of other advanced discipleship. But that's not the case at all. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z. It is what gives us the power to continually love as Jesus loves, as we reflect back, as we meditate on what Jesus has done for us, that love that Jesus has for us should ignite in us something. It should cause us to be captivated by him. It should cause us to to want to serve him and to please him. It should cause us to want to spread that love to other people. We should then be a conduit of Jesus' love. It should come through us. And the way that takes place on a daily basis is by reflecting on the gospel. We never move past the gospel. We always continually reflect on the gospel. We preach the gospel to ourselves, whether we are a non-believer or a believer. We must preach the gospel and we must preach it to ourselves often. And so how should we love one another? Where our love as Christians should be in a completely different category than the love that that the world often associates with love. We don't love one another like we love our shoes or our Netflix shows or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever it is that you're going to have for lunch today. And we're going to say, man, that was so good. I love that. We don't love one another in that way. We, We love those things because they benefit us. But we, but we should not love, or our love should not be contingent just based on the benefit that we get from people. No. Instead, we are to love self-sacrificially just as Jesus has loved us, which is only possible if we have been first been cleansed by Jesus, and then second, by being continually captivated by Jesus. And so do you, love, do you know the love of Jesus? H- have you been cleansed by Jesus? Are you captivated by Jesus? If you are, then you should love as Jesus loves. 
And if you're not, you can know the love of Jesus today. You can turn from your sins, from living life your own way, from going down a path of destruction, a path that's going to lead straight to hell. You can turn from that today and you can turn towards Jesus and believe that he is your Lord and he is your Savior. And you can experience salvation today. You can experience the cleansing that Jesus provides today. Jesus loves us so much that he came and willingly sacrificed himself on our behalf. And you can turn to Jesus. Jesus today. And so won't you, if you don't already, won't you know the love of Jesus today? Won't you love as Jesus loves? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to, to hear your word, to, to learn more about how you love us, God. And we're thankful for the love that, that you have poured out in our lives for the way in which you have sacrificed yourself for us, God. And and Lord, we pray right now that that we would do the same. We pray that you would ignite in us a desire to serve other people, not out of our own self-effort, but out of what you have done for us, that we might be so captivated by you today that we are driven to love others in a self-sacrificial way. And Lord, if anyone who is watching this now or will watch this recording in the future If they don't know you, God, if they don't know your love, we ask that you would work in their life through the word, that you would drive this word into their heart so that they might understand who Jesus is. And they might be drawn to you, that might profess Jesus as their Lord and their Savior so that they might experience the love of Jesus and in turn spread the love of Jesus to those around them. God, we ask, Lord, that you would save many today, that you would give them hope, and that they might be able to experience the love of Jesus even amidst this crisis that we are facing. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.